0: Welcome to Rocking Our Priors. I am your host, Dr. Alice Evans, and with me today is the great, the magnificent Professor Alessandra Cassar, Professor of Economics at the University of San Francisco, and an awesome source. Now, Alessandra, tell me, why are men more likely
1: to compete for prestige? So, it depends how far back we want to go with the explanation because um, back then, this question has been asked by lots of scientists and uh, earlier than the 60s than the late 60s we had this idea that actually goes back to Darwin that male was the competitive sex and female was the less competitive sex because there are different gains to multiple partners. The idea was that uh, and it was also in a way shown by an experiment by Bateman was that uh, as male increase the number of partner they would increase the number of offspring. Therefore there are great increase in fitness the number of offspring by male trying to mate with as many women and by male trying to mate with as many female as they can. For female in general, for women in particular, there is no such a thing. Mating with as many men as there are, it still doesn't allow you to have uh, 200, 300 kids. We know historically that Genghis Khan had thousands of children. Even Julius Caesar, we know that had over 200 children. For women, this increase in fitness don't come from Collecting an arm of male. Bateman did an experiment in which he showed with fruit flies, is the famous Bateman experiment that gave rise to the paradigm of the competitive male and the less competitive female. So in this experiment, he took a bunch of fruit flies that had genetic uh, malformities like one eyes, like Cyclops cyclope in the middle, weird wings and stuff like that and it really showed that the males that had more female copulation, so counting copulation, the male that had more female copulation, they left behind more offspring and there was no the same advantage for the female. The female that copulated with more male, they didn't have more offspring or offspring that survived. This was a very um, uh, a very important experiment. The Dentrivers, uh, Robert Trivers. Uh, used as the foundation of the parental investment hypothesis. It was popularized, if it not the foundation, it was popularized by Trivers, And this idea that in the two sexes, the one that has to invest more as a parent, and in this particular case it would be the female, if there is with gestation and then lactation, so let's bring it back to the humans, to, 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 to the human beings, it would be the women. And it is the other sex that compete, for the sex that has the greater parental investment. And this has been a mantra. Even Darwin, so we go back even before Batman, had this idea that it was the male sex that it was the most competitive because there are lots of gains in terms of increasing the number of offspring, in increasing fitness, and it is only a male Uh, it's part of of the male gains. For female, for women, there is no such a possibility because there is a a maximum number of offspring. Let's talk about women. How much is it? 18, 19, 20? Uh, So just to
0: clarify, the argument is that women are capped at the number of children they can have and so because yeah. men can have many more children They can have thousands. They can of have thousands of children, they're more likely to be able to have lots of children if they acquire lots of goods and resources. H- therefore they should be yes, more competitive so to get those goods and resources. Okay. So that's the female. But wait, mm-hmm. that, that logic doesn't convince me because there are still other payoffs to being high status for a woman. Right. So even if being high status does not get me a thousand children, it gets me a lot of other perks because being high status, having prestige gives me the benefits. I can have more resources to spend on my children.
1: Exactly. So that for me is a challenge. Exactly. And this is what Sarah Hardy started to question in the late 60s and in the 70s and say, wait a moment. But is it really true that there are no gains to high status Mm -hmm. to women? And now we know, with the with the research studies that are also very very recent, that and some that are a little bit older, but in the seventies, that there are enormous gains from women to reaching high status. They have more resources for themselves and their children, so they insurance they ensure the well being. On the current offsprings and if you think that you have a limited number of them it becomes even more important to make sure that all of your fewer eggs are really taken care of and not just fitness your number of offspring and also the offspring of the offspring so the argument that women don't gain from high status and you talked about prestige there are two ways to reach high status. You can do it through dominance, uh, sheer force and authoritarianism, or you do it through prestige. Humans do it with both, but prestige seems to be- What either. does
0: prestige mean then?
1: Prestige is when people willingly defer to you. So uh, high status to prestige would be a great viol- violinist, a great soccer player, some a great neurosurgeon, a great cook, a great chef, when you have some valuable skill and the other people defer to you because they recognize your skill. A politician can be high status uh, through prestige if they are really talented and well-loved. A politician could be high status through dominance if uh, they kill the adversary, they poison them, like we see it happens around and the so world. so those
0: prestigious positions like uh, leadership, yeah. being le- leaders of a company or government... Do we do you think it's true that women are less competitive when it comes to prestigious positions?
1: Okay, so we have to unpack what does it mean less competitive?
0: Right. What about the specifically game? for prestigious com, uh, positions?
1: Absolutely not, oh, because okay. they can be they can be as um, good and as valuable in providing these services to the rest of the group. Mm-hmm. The difference that we observe uh, is that uh, sometimes women don't appear competitive for this position. In in economics, uh, we have probably a hundred papers that do the classic experiment and show that women are indeed less competitive than men, while other disciplines like anthropology, evolutionary psychology, evolutionary biology, they have really are changing away from the paradigm of the competitive male and less competitive female, it seems like economics is the last of the social science to make this step. Why? Because it's 20 years that we are producing experiment that replicates across culture and then we will see that in other culture it doesn't work like that. But in most culture, you have that male are more competitive than female. Do you know the basic experiment that economists use to measure competitiveness? A willingness
0: to compete for some Is financial the willingness, so yes, yes.
1: It would be a three-stage, a three-round game in which you have, in the first round, People have to play little games, it could be adding up numbers uh, or finding the word the the word in a word puzzle. And in the first stage, everyone gets paid one dollar per correct answer. Yes, yes. Then there is a second stage in which everyone is forced to compete. Me and you are matched together, and only the one that does the most correct answer gets two dollars per correct answer, and the other one gets nothing. But then the real experiments start in the first stage when we ask people, so what do you want to do for the next round? Do you want to be paid according to the peace rate payment scheme, or do you want to be paid according to the tournament, the competitive wow. team? And here is where we see the big difference with male competitiveness and female competitiveness. We even see differences in the second stage. When you force people to compete, you have that men get a boost in performance, men thrives in a competitive environment, and women stays the same as the peace rate. So we have hundreds of these experiments. And they all show that men are more competitive when it comes to these little games. It is, they overwhelmingly, yes. And those are the experiments done by economists? These are done by economists. Uh So
0: what is, uh, okay, question. Do you think those kinds of experiments with little tokens track
1: what's actually happening in the real world? Well, some people think yes, other people think no. But lots of economists would say yes, because they track what people do in this game to their income. Mm -hmm. They track what people do in this game to the profession that they choose. They track with people doing this game with other real life outcomes, and there is quite some good correlation. So, done it like that, it seems that from Darwin to Trevers to Bateman to all of the economists, males are more competitive than female. Except we have seen it in, in uh, matrilinear and matrilocal culture. Is not you can completely close the gap. I did the same experiment about so the is Nana In this easy
0: paper. They show that with the Cassie, yes.
1: matrilineal women can. Be yes. Mm-hmm. So first of all, we know that culture does change things, mm. and we you have culture in which this is not is not uh, you don't find this gap anymore. But my question. Can I just pause w- yes, there on the matrilineal yeah, yeah.
0: point? What is your theory about why matriliny increases female competitiveness?
1: We'll go to that. Okay, all right, sorry. We'll go to that because okay. it took me 10 years. <laughs> okay, all right, you take your time. It you took time. me 10 years to try to figure it out, this mm-hmm. question. What is it in this culture that makes women compete as much as the men? So I had to go back to evolutionary psychology, evolutionary biology, especially the newest work, starting with the work of Sarah Hardy that shows there is in principle no reason we have this experiment, but this is fruit flies, an experiment that Patricia Gowati at UCLA has debunked so many times, and yet the literature is full of reference to this particular experiment. And nobody talks about Patricia Gawati, which is really, you should invite her to your next podcast because she is wonderful. She's really wonderful and she can tell you all about the history of this paradigm that stuck to our mind and the idea that women cannot be president, women cannot be CEO because they are less competitive and so they don't go for this position. But if you go back to evolutionary biology, nobody says it's nonsense to say that women are less competitive than male. Mm -hmm. Every creature has to be competitive to have offspring, to make sure that the offspring thrives. The game of life is a game on maximizing fitness, Mm -hmm. maximizing inclusive fitness. So what did we see in the animal kingdom is not that one sex is less than the other is that one sex is different than the other. So I start a first series of experiment using the exact same protocol that we use in economics. But I change the the payoff in order to change the frame of mind. Instead of paying people cash, which is the traditional object of male-male competition in patriarchal society. It was the same amount of money, but it was paid in voucher that could only benefit the children of the participant. So I started to play game, not with the university student, but with parents of small children. The first experiment was done in China. Within subject design, the same person, so I'm not going matrilocal culture, patrilocal culture, the same person does it with cash, or does it in a frame that really focuses you on the gains that are going to benefit your children. And what do you have? The same person playing with cash, there is the usually found big gap in competitiveness. You change the frame of the competitiveness and you give them a voucher, and you have that male are exactly the same. Also male care about their children, but you have that women, whoop, increase their competitiveness to the level of the male. I started to replicate it in different culture. And what I found, it was always the same closing up. In some culture, there, like in Colombia, there was no gap to start yes. with. And in another culture, like the Nana bands in West Africa, I had that the women were competing more than the men. And this was really fascinating because it's not even a cross culture. It's within the same culture. You change the frame of the competition. You bring into the game something that matters to women And women compete as much as the game, as much as the men. So imagine you are an ornithologist and your job is to go in the forest and you have to count the color in the feather of the bird. You come home, you only see the males. What if instead your job is to count the eggs? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You're finally going to start seeing the female. So in economics, what we need to do when we study sex and gender is not just put in a dummy variable for female and male in the traditional game. We should start acknowledging that diversity means that the stakes and the various things for women may be different. So we change the game, we add things that matter to women. This experiment really showed that you can change it even within the person, but it opened even more questions because one could say, well, you could have competed for cash and then buy the book. Why, when you have a voucher, you do it like that? And so, again, it took me quite a few years to to, to see what could it be. So I did another experiment. And this experiment, well, I did it with Mary Rigdon. Hi, Mary, if you're listening. We uh, said, well, what if it has to do with keeping up the... At least the appearance of being a cooperator. Going back to evolutionary biology, no, just going back to biology, what is the most important feature across culture for human beings? We are a cooperative breeding species. Cooperative breeding species means that to bring an offspring to maturity, the mother cannot do it by her own. They cannot produce enough calories. They cannot produce enough defense. Women, since the beginning of time, they had a big job to lactate, to produce enough milk, to bring calories. But the other job that has not been acknowledged much is that women had to secure the help of the men to bring calories, to bring defense, and the help of the other women. So if we look, if we start from the fact, and this is going to the theory that I think might explain all of this. If we start from a fact, which is we are cooperative breeders, and the women's most important job has been to provide resources for the offspring, but also the social capital. So the physical resources, but also the social resources, has endowed women with a psychological re, psychological motivational system to keep time networks, to attracting men and retaining men, to continue to cooperate with the other women but be- don't men need social cooperation so absolutely. In
0: evolutionary psychology men would have been part of clubs yeah defend their communities absolutely Wouldn't social cooperation be just as important for
1: men absolutely and this is another idea for which women they thought oh women cooperate less because we only thought about male activities hunting together fighting together Well, what about having to tie together the networks that it is necessary for bringing offspring to maturity? So in this next experiment, we said, OK, we are going to use cash. Again, we are going to do the classic experiment. And then we are going to use cash. But we are going to tell people the winner at the end of the game has a chance to share their resources with the loser. Nothing changes. What do we observe? The moment you add a cooperative option to a competition, whoop, and we replicate it in three labs because we couldn't believe it, (laughs) that it was so strong. But the women, they really increase their competitiveness. Do they share more? Not so much, but they increase their competitiveness, which means that... uh, which means that appearing cooperators. When you compete for a voucher for your kid, you're not going to alienate other people because no other women. Would not be your friend and think, oh, you are a compet. What what is negative about competitiveness? Because we think that very competitive individuals are not gonna be cooperative. We think there is this natural. Uh, it's a lady You are if you are competing, you want the resource. By definition, the resources for you. If you will cooperate, you want to share. You want to be more egalitarian. So this frame of mind in which you are competing, but you are gonna benefit your children. It doesn't give you backlash from the other women. It doesn't give you backlash from men because they might think, what a good woman, what a good mom. If you notice when they do those stupid games on the radio, the one that drinks more water wins a Nintendo PlayStation. is always the mother that dies, that that drinks water herself until she's dead. When you start bringing up this mothering frame, you have this, this extremely competitive behavior because there is no backlash. There is backlash when you become competitive, for yourself, competitive for cash. That's why it's, it's, it is harder for women to be CEO, to be president of the United States, to enter the political arena, because these jobs appear as individual competition, which means that we can do so much. If we have, let's take the CEO and the bonuses. If we say, if the bonus instead been for a CEO, is for the entire division so you add a little bit of cooperation of what is otherwise it's an individual gain big prize you're going to have women that more willingly enter into the competition if you allow in the places of jobs you can say well if you get this position and this promotion there is going to be a scholarship for your kids or we have a fancy fancy language school for the children of the top management all of a sudden those gain appear gains for your family and women don't get the backlash this is not conscious this is not conscious i just want to summarize
0: so far so what you're saying is under the status quo where it comes to competing for top jobs or income men are typically more likely to compete for prestige and part of the reason for that is that women face backlash, hostile backlash from others when they're seen as self-interested and therefore they can lose allies which might be important for them. Allies is the
1: most important, for women having allies is the most important thing and for men making it to the top, making a CEO. It gains allies. Men that are really good, that are the top, that become the alpha, they gain a lot of other men because men tends to form coalition that are vertical, hierarchical, with the alpha, the beta, the gamma, and there are lots of gains for men to form coalition in which is really clear who is the top and who is not. For women, is not like that. So
0: I would, I would have you read uh, Celia Ridgeway's book on status? No. So she makes this argument. It's a super nice book. I, I'd recommend it. It came out in 2019. And she argues that status is accrued. So in m- whatever game you are playing, people gain status, respect, and reverence if they're seen as highly competent and achieving the group's goal. And this is an ideological battle of persuasion. Right, so they gain prestige, she calls it status, if people think that they're contributing to the group goal. So if you have an intergroup conflict, the men who are protecting and saving the group from existential survival, they are revered as, as, as strong, tough defenders. For example, if you have a football game, or American football game, and you have black players who are brilliant, they will be revered and respected because they are scoring all those goals. So their fans will respect those black players because they're achieving their goals, whereas the opposition may be still be very racist and attack them. It's, so it's whoever is seen as achieving your goals. And of course, there's a matter of ideological persuasion in that women may be contributing to those goals, but their contributions may be devalued or denigrated. For example, where I work in Zambia, a woman who is a housewife, they say, and that means just sitting. So even though she's doing that valuable work, it's not recognized in a bit. So it's very much an ideological battle of persuasion. And so they argue that if anyone wants to change their status or their prestige what they can do is convince other people that they're competent in achieving the group goal so they may try to make them they may try to improve their skills they may try to convince other people what they're doing is really important so for example a shaman or religious leader may be revered because people come to think that they're really important for the group survival you know if you have the religion if the person can converse with gods and speak to the gods then that enables your group survival right um Whereas if a group is or a group could push for more power, push for more authority and demand more respect. But she argues that if people think that a a group like women, for example, are not that competent and not that deserving of status, then any attempt they try to get status is seen as uppity and self-interested. And she says the only way you can mitigate that attempt to seem uppity so for, for example if a if a person whether it's a black person or a woman or a, for a person from a lower class group in india is trying to get that prestige for themselves and other people think that group is not entitled to prestige because they do not associate with them with the prestige then any attempt to demand or push for it is seen as uppity and how does a person counteract that perception of uppity they act nice and so i think that fits in with your survey your your field experiment results so by acting nice or women can mitigate that appetiness. So if Absolutely. people think, hey, Alice is a nice person, maybe they'll allow me to be a little bit more competitive because Alice is giving back in some way, right? Absolutely. And so that is your similar result. Because being
1: nice uh, it takes away from being individualistic in a way. Because the appetite man that becomes uh, uh, very valued and reaching high status is gonna gain male allies and female. But, the yes. female that reaches high status, what do we observe? They have a much higher divorce rate, yes. and the other women think, oh, she's happy. Oh, who does she think she is? We do this even in high school. There were well done incredibly interesting studies in the 80s in high school about the captain of the football team and the, and the head of the cheerleaders. And the boy that became the captain of the football team was revered, and it's a good job, of course, but it was revered by everyone. All the boys wanted to be friends with him, and there were no backlash. What happened to the cheerleader? I don't know what happened. It's the cycle of popularity. Something that happens to girls. So it becomes uh, she becomes uh, the captain of the cheerleader. She's extremely good. She's very good in doing what she does. And so all the other girls uh, want to, uh, wants to network with her. But female relationships are much more intimate and time-consuming than male-male yes, relationships. Yeah. So she cannot give all the attention to all of the other girls that want to be her besties. And therefore, very soon she becomes conceited, she becomes arrogant, she becomes, and her power doesn't last very much. Women have always done this dyadic relationship yes. that are based on egalitarianism yes. and I think it goes back to the need to get allies, but not any allies. Not having the allies that they go hunting with you and if they keep uh, a rabbit for themselves mm-hmm. is okay. is the allies that got your children while you go out uh, uh, doing something in the vegetable plot is this it needs a lot more trust. Finding an ally that will help you for child-rearing. They cannot be a thousand people. Usually it's a much smaller group, but it is much, much deeper. So the woman that reaches the top, she becomes conceded. She has more. We know that cooperation usually doesn't happen when people are totally different. It's very rare for best friend, one to be ultra-wealthy and the other being poor. Because the ultra-wealthy might think the poor is going to exploit me. And the poor might be friends just because they want to get benefit. So we know that friendship happens at about the same level of the socioeconomic scale. So if you have women, you have the women that solo becomes the CEO, the other women become jealous. They become jealous because they cannot have anymore that relationship based on reciprocity. A reciprocity that requires egalitarianism. The way women interact with each other, even nowadays, even in gender more egalitarian countries, they are all about uh, not boasting their own successes. Is all about being modest because you don't want to appear to have more than another if you want to cooperate with that person because you're afraid that that person will not trust you, will not cooperate with you. So especially with important relationship, it is important for women not to feel that they have more than their friend. And if you become the CEO, unless you have your, you can navigate in a world of other female CEOs, you're going to be very lonely. There is lots of loneliness for women up gaining powers because women appreciate egalitarianism. They they thrive on egalitarianism because it's with egalitarianism you have cooperation based on reciprocity. Male. Have cooperation based on dominance.
0: Okay, wait. I want to say two. Th-
1: also, they also like egalitarianism, but dominance, for male is very important for women. Having an alpha, she's the bitch. Mm.
0: I want to say one thing to agree with you and one thing to disagree. With Great. You. Okay. So number one, so Tanya Reynolds, and I'm sure you know her. What? Yes, she absolutely emphasizes that women get uncomfortable with dominant women and so for that reason women may even denigrate themselves to buy favor yes. with other women who is this one uh, tanya reynolds okay yes yes
1: people. yes 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 and Eva. i met her
0: last thing. and i'll tell you a secret okay so recently not because
1: I, anyone is listening not, no it's
0: just between you and me okay so i recently met this is a real story i won't name any names i recently met a woman a very prominent woman who was visibly hostile and passive aggressive And I think she was uncomfortable with me. And I realized this. And so, middle of the way through that conversation, I just started denigrating myself so that she wouldn't see me as any kind of competition. I made myself so small. I just like emphasized all my problems and like so that she wouldn't think that I was a threat, right? And so I saw myself. Did it change the relationship?
1: (laughs) No. No. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know okay, we
0: definitely I I, it. I, I should have started it earlier. On. Anyway, um, but I want to push back about your, because you've sort of been emphasising this evolutionary psychology, and I think, and I think Cecilia Ridgeway's work is really important in that, who, the groups that we accept as having high status that's partly socially constructed, and so I think it's interesting in Norway, Sweden, and Finland, for example, where proportional representation was institutionalized fairly on in the 20th century and as a result and PR is typically good for female leaders because under PR people generally vote for the party and so even if women take career breaks and if they spend time with their kids they, could, they still can be electorally successful because people are voting for the party whereas under a majoritarian system you really need strong individual constituency links so if a woman takes time off then it really scuppers all those individual relationships and so women still systematically do much better under PR under under than majoritarianism and so under a long so because in Scandinavia they have PR so women have a long history of far higher rates of leadership so then people are much more accepting of female leaders. So if you look at world value survey data, about over 70% of people think women are good leaders because they've seen them um, yep. exercise competence. And so I think that changes people's perceptions and acceptability. Yeah, yeah. And so in those situations, it's actually okay for women to compete for those high-status jobs. So to me, I don't buy the argument that it's set by evolutionary psychology. And I think your own research shows that. So, for example, those Nana Benz women, and this is in the Gulf of Guinea where women have a lot history of entrepreneurship and they were incredibly successful some even acquired their own mercedes-benz hence the name is and in those societies where people are accustomed to female entrepreneurship there's no backlash there's
1: no loss of allies right so it's very much a cultural construction it's both but this is exactly Mm. what we are trying to discover now it's the interplay Mm. between biology Mm. and culture biology and social norm the fact that women, that women are the one giving birth, lactate, and they are the one knitting the social fabric because they need to get all of these allies, this is biology. But it is culture the way these allies are gonna punish or not these women. Because if being a woman prime minister, it's, uh, it's, it's been done, it's loud. decades that it is happening. There is no more backlash. This stops to be one of the reasons for which women get uh, backlash. So it's really the interplay between culture and biology. So let me
0: stress culture more. So for example, in a patrilocal society, okay. a woman is in an incredibly precarious situation. Yep. She does not have her kin with her. And so to make the best of everything, she needs... So number, I think you have two effects. One is that if those patrilocal societies care about inheritance, and they want the legitimate heirs to Mm -hmm. inherit, then we tend to see stronger ideals of chastity, more restrictions on women's freedom, lower rates of female employment. And so it's rare, it's harder and more difficult for women to acquire prestige. So in those societies, people are not going to see so many dominant women, they'll tend to denigrate them, tend to think they're less competent. So they'll be less accepting Of female dominant but also in those societies uh, people women need to maintain cooperation of those around them so they need to act nice and
1: play nice and this is the experiment that I'm trying to do right now okay in uh, India okay tell me same culture matrilocal and patrilocal tribe in Assam and we are gonna check this idea do women in patrilocal culture women that had to live with a bunch of genetic stranger, because cooperating with your in-group, with your kin is very easy. We have Hamilton that explain, so much of cooperation is due to the fact that you help in other because they carry the same genes. It's like helping yourself. It increases the fitness of everyone. But what about cooperating with stranger? So my expectation is that in patrilocal culture it's gonna be even more important for women to be very good about calibrating reciprocity because you're not gonna have cooperation based on kinship, Hamilton, you're gonna have cooperation based on reciprocity, on mutual gain from cooperation. So we'll see. So wait, tell me what the, the experiment is
0: testing whether there's more cooperation among people who are patrilocal versus matrilineal?
1: It's not about, well, we can also check. We will be able to check who who has more cooperation and who has less cooperation. But this is an experiment in in which we are measuring uh, how much do people give in a dictator game? So this is the way in which economists measure cooperation, norms of fairness. You have $10 and I'm asking you, how would you like to, if any, Mm -hmm. would you like to share this money with a random stranger in San Francisco? with a random stranger in Italy, with a random stranger in Zambia. So we make it longer and longer, the social distance, and we make it also closer and closer because I play dictator game also within the entire, the entire family, your mother, your father, your sister, your cousin, anybody. And then I measure through a survey how much help of different form of help, it could be instrumental support, it could be money, it could be emotional support, it could be help with raising children, and then I correlate how much you give in the game to later on, because otherwise it becomes too obvious. Two hours later in the survey, we elicit all of these networks. What did we find so far in the Solomon Island on a sample of over 800 and um, over 820 adults? The more women acknowledge help in raising children, not from the family, but from neighbor and friend, the more they are generous to stranger. Oh, really? Yes. So we think the more you have to negotiate, you, the more you are, your survival and the wellness of your kids depends on... Not your kin, not your mother, your your uncle, but neighbors and friends, the more you have to acquire impersonal norm of morality based on egalitarianism and reciprocity. And we had amazing results from the Solomon Island. So this summer, we replicated it in India among matrilocal and patrilocal with the idea that who is going to cooperate more with the stranger? Could it be the patrilocal women? Because they had to develop other norms of cooperation, more impartial norm of cooperation. And if in our distant past, we were... The, we, we Why lo- would
0: patrilocal women have to develop more impartial norms Because of they
1: have to... De- they, who do they get help with the children from the mother-in-law who is not genetically related to her? So she has to give something to get something. She has to coordinate a lot with neighbours, with friends, with other people that are not her genetic relatives in the matrilocal tribe uh, who helps you with raising your children your mother your your sister is
0: that in a matrilocal society women have so much support from kin that they really don't need strangers it's like hey i'm sorted my family is going to look after me whereas in a patrilocal society You're on your own. You've got to build these connections. And so, okay, let me say one thing, just to caveat that. I would say that Assam is relatively unique as a patrilocal society in that it doesn't have ideals of female seclusion. So if you compare it to Uttar Pradesh, for example, okay. where Anukriti shows that only 36% of women have friends, that's another patrilocal society, but they've got very strong norms of honor, and that men's honor depends on female chastity, and so you see a very high share of women wearing gungat, doing padda or female seclusion. For example, after marriage, a woman might not leave the house until she's had a few children because they want to guarantee paternal certainty, because people would start to talk in the village if a woman is in, is yeah. out and about, and it would be bad for the man's honor. So those are both patrilocal societies, but in Assam, there is far greater female freedom. Women are still working, they're still in the labor market, far higher rates of female employment. So I would say that patrilocality could lead to impartiality, if women are also able to network, etc., and meet all those distant people, and you know form friendships in the market, but if a woman is in a in, in Uttar Pradesh, for example, or in Bihar, where I was earlier this year, then they never get that opportunity to meet and mingle with other
1: this people. This so would be another great cabin. experiment because, because we know that uh, patrilocality and matrilocality comes in all colors, yes, in yes. all shades. But it is a way to start. You start with the same region, so culturally is the same, and you just check. Another,
0: another, another caveat another caveat. matrilineal societies are typically the land is low value. there are typically weak markets they' are typically less connected. So no matrilineal society ever gets rich where because and, I, and my theory here is that matri locality is crap for men because you're under the authority of your wife's kin. Right? So, no man wants to be in that submissive subordinate position doing bride service, labor service for their wife's family. And so, you're in that very subordinate family, you don't uh, subordinate position, you don't even have control over your children. So, any opportunity that men get to buck out of
1: matriliney, they tend to do it. So, that is what my student was saying. Okay. She came back and said, and she was sending me WhatsApp all summer long saying, I cannot find the man here. They keep saying, the men are disappearing as soon as they can in the matrilineal villages these men are gone I say what do you mean they are gone they are gone because they go in the business of the family of the wife maybe they are baker they have never learned how to be baker they are a bit a little bit humiliated because they cannot do a good job and they're gone.
0: So wherever you have, so for example in East Africa where you had a matrilineal society, men even might raid another community for a wife, so then they could instantiate their own patrilineal or nuclear regime. In Zambia, when they opened up the copper mines, men would go and work for that labor income in the mines and then start their own nuclear family. So wherever you have an economic exit option, men flee matriline. So wherever you have wage labor markets, wherever you have economic development in Kerala, for example, the Nairs and Bunts, they were matrilineal. But when those educated salaried men were working for the colonial administration, they pushed for nuclear families because they wanted their own authority. So matriline dies and matrilini dies for two reasons one men don't like it Two, their men are never under strong constraints under matriline. So under patrilocality, women are under stricter constraints. There's gradations of that, but because descent is always traced through the female line, what the men do is kind of up to them. So there's not very strong social policing of the men. People matrilineal societies let men move about freely. They're not like kept in the house, right? Because the set because they're not the ones because having children. Because there
1: sugar. is no symmetry. There is never symmetry. Right. So matriline mm. matriline. So so here
0: are my two points. One is matrilocality is more common where land is low value because you it, patrilocality is where you want the son to inherit all those assets to be more uh, to have higher reproductive success. So matrilineal societies are typically in poorer, more remote, less marketized societies because if they were in markets, they would have turned patrilocal. For, another point is that in much of sub-Saharan Africa, when land gains value, you tend to have witch hunts. And what's happening is those matrilineal men are chasing and pursuing and harassing old vulnerable women to steal their land. Right? Yeah. So whenever you have economic development, matriline turns patrilineal ought into nuclear families. So my point is so this is just the caveat, your your thought experiment on the difference between matrilocality and patriliny, Markets matter. So matrilineal societies are typically less marketized. Now, Ben Enke has a paper showing that markets lead to a more universalist morality. But I'm saying that matrilineal societies won't have those markets because the minute they get markets, then they'll turn patrilineal. So it could be an intervening variable. It's not just about matrilineal and patrilocality, but also whether you get markets. Yeah. If you get markets, they turn patrilineal and then they start interacting with lots of people and then they get that universalist yeah. morality. That's just one so, idea. No,
1: Definitely. The big idea is market integration. Ah, okay. But Sorry, what I stole I mean, your thunder. No, no, thunder. no, no, no. No, that is the thing. Mm. There is the market integration. Mm. We are saying, maybe it's not only about the market integration. Okay. There is another way in which we could have this universal norm of morality, having to deal with not genetically related in order to have the cooperation necessary for raising offspring to oh, maturity okay, okay. so there is market but there is also the allo maternal care so cooperative breeding means that we have lots of allo maternal care and it falls on the mother to lactate but it falls on the mother to keep the man to maintain the man so they provision and protect to maintain the other allies for your children so this is a This is a big job that usually we don't talk about, the job of eliciting cooperation. The market might work very well for men, but even if women are secluded from market and we can measure both and they can happen at the same time, for the women we find that this is very important and um, Can I give we you have also hypothesis? yes there is also all the hypothesis of what you talked today during the seminar of the breaking up of the marriage from the from the early church the breaking up of kinship of cousin marriage again people have to start dealing with other people outside the family and that again brings about this norm of marriage so every time we reduce the importance of kin and humans had to relate to others that are not kin, Hamilton stopped to be the gravity force that explained cooperation. We need to have cooperation based on reciprocity. And reciprocity requires egalitarianism, fairness nor of morality, so whether it is the church that bans marrying cousin, whether it is market that forces people to deal with not kin, whether it is the network that you need to elicit for help with allo maternal care and you are in a patri and you are in a matri or you are in a new local environment where is neither the family of the husband nor the family of the wife like we would have here in the United States, when you st- when you break up the kinship structure, you have to deal with other people. And that's where you need to be. Reciprocal, egalitarian, a little bit egalitarian. Normal fairness, impartial normal fairness need to be important. Okay,
0: but now I'm going to have a question
1: for you. Okay, go.
0: Number one. Okay. Okay, I appreciate this. So here, so your theory your hypothesis is that women need to cooperate especially in patrilineal societies for the allo-maternal care but here is another old interpretation uh, tanya reynolds argues she says well actually a lot of the allo-maternal care is provided by kin she has another theory for female friendship and i don't know if you know it she argues the reason women have friends is as part of sexual competition she argues that women use their friendship networks to gossip and spread rumors and malign other women. So if women...
1: Coalition, you have your own coalition, so that you keep, if there are only few, if good male are a scarce resource, women need to be very competitive, but they cannot be competitive on the same line as male, because you're not gonna attract a man by becoming the CEO of Google. Although nowadays the culture may be different and they want to believe that that man would find very attractive. But you have to attract a male over things that male want so if a chastity for example yes. let's take one of this culture if chastity is important how you, do you defeat an adversary spreading horrible gossip that she's a whore
0: Alice is a big slut so don't go out with her Exactly, she sleeps right?
1: with everyone yes,
0: yes because that right yes exactly so that's Tanya, Tanya Reynolds' argument is that women would have friendships for two reasons one to spread malicious rumors about their competition and two to preserve their own reputations and to do that in a subtle way that would maintain their position as everyone would see their see their sweet and nice and you know Alice is a nice person really and oh what did there I are never say tons anything. of gain from but, but women let cooperating. Add, let me add one thing about how this relates to matrilineal and patrilocality is that we might speculate that under a patrilocal so systems are typically patrilocal if women mu, mu women may rationally choose into a patrilocal system if there are some dominant men who can provide you with some great resources right so patrilocality is more patriarchal together
1: with patri patrilocality go together often with patrilinearity yes so yes. if the property passed down yes. the main so if line men have
0: assets yeah, right yeah. So, the in those, so in though is when a patrilineal system women are competing over men you want the higher you want a great man what, is it, what uh, you know in the manosphere today is called a high-value man, to use Andrew Tate's terminology. Women are competing over these great men, these providers, the men who have assets, the man, men who have land, right? In a patrilocal society is men who have the land. So you would have heightened sexual competition in a patrilineal society. So that is another hypothesis I have for you. So that if you have heightened female competition in a patrilineal society, because it's men who own land, then how do you malign and how do you enhance your sexual competitiveness? Then you need to malign other women. And that would increase the need for female friendships and, and cooperation. You need your own yes, allies. Yes, so what I'm suggesting to you is in a patrilineal in a patrilineal system you have heightened sexual competition, therefore you might need more then you might need and benefit more from more diverse female friendships and there's your cooperation Even story.
1: more of a reason to be cooperative yes, exactly, and have this norm that. for cooperation. Whereas
0: in a matrilineal society, because it's your family that's got the assets you're not really competing over men yeah. in fact it's men who are coming to you yeah so you might expect less diverse females so that is my third hypothesis
1: yeah for you. see all of these things right? <laughs> all of these things and slowly slowly that's yes, the yes, fascinating yes, part yes. we can get data yes. we can play games with people and we can get all sorts of interesting uh, data on behavior Okay,
0: and this is, and I think I think it's really amazing. Your research that you do test this hypothesis all over the world to work out what's driving these differences. Can you tell me what you found in Colombia and post-conflict societies? Because you've done a lot of work on post-conflict societies.
1: Well, in post-conflict society, everywhere, I would say almost everywhere. We find uh, higher egalitarianism. Those that have been more victimized, those that have lost uh, resources, those that have lost a limb, those that have been under the bombs, uh, they are they cooperate more. So this one is in line with the ideas that really cooperation is this is the reason of our success. Cooperation is the reason why a group survived. Whether it is because selection operates at the group level, intergroup conflict, back to Darwin, whether it for the very practical reason that because cooperation, let's look at now at the war between Ukraine and Russia. What are we observing? Enormous amount of cooperation because by binding together, we can defeat the adversary. And we did this experiment 15 years ago, way before there was a war so prominent and people were sometimes expecting the opposite. Oh, you're going to see the disgregation of the social contract. You're going to see one man for all. The same at the end of a disaster. I don't know if you remember Hurricane Katrina in the United States where the National Guard came in with the idea that in the post-war disaster situation, it would be hell, it would be looting, it would be all, which by the way, there must be, a, there is for sure a 5% looters, but 95% were people trying to ch- help each other, and the National Guard, to prevent the what they saw as looting instead were people helping each other they killed hundreds of people this is once st- it's everywhere you know you can even search this we don't talk about this but it's even in um, it's not just among in, in the newspapers this is again a fact so not going with the right mindset it gives you policy that hurts more than they help and i
0: would i, I would flag michelle Gelfand and her colleagues work here that she finds that when societies face sustained uh, chronic threats like hurricanes pathogens uh, disasters tornadoes they're more likely to want the group to be strong and stick exactly. together so they're more likely to be collectivist they're more likely to be conformist and, and, and egalitarian and,
1: and in economics we would say we would add egalitarianism group, so you group. waste resources mm. but you're not going to have people that have a lot and people that have very little because we know that it's hard to maintain cooperation. Egalitarianism, the redistribution of the resources, it's really helpful for cooperation, the so, spreading so, so, of the gain. So within
0: the group, within your group, and that can be small, mm-hmm. right? It, it, it yeah. doesn't necessarily need to be everyone. It could be ethnically divided, religiously yeah. divided. Uh, so within the group you see these tiny. So how does that, what happens in post-conflict societies in terms of the gender gap and competitiveness? What do you find there?
1: Well, nobody knows. I started to look at things, uh, and the big divide that I found in my data is more than on gender. It is on gender, Mm -hmm. but it is also on parental status Mm -hmm. among people that already have kids and people that have not. I have one study in Sierra Leone that shows that uh, when it comes to cooperation, Male without children, they are the least cooperative of all. Mm. the young male without children. The moment men have a family of kids, they become more cooperative towards the rest of the group. And probably because the moment we have children, we know that their well-being depends on the well-being of the group. You you, weigh, you shift the weight on individualism towards group well-being because now you have kids in the group that they are going to benefit if the group survives or not. So we have young men men that don't have kids yet they cooperate less with the group but once they are the one that are more victimized again we use the victimization as a measure of who is more affected or least affected by the group they are the one that increase the most their cooperation they are the one that have everything to gain at this point because if they become valorous if they become heroes they are going to collect all of the women and then it's their turn to have kids what do we have for women we have that women are more cooperating to start with. There isn't a a big increase in cooperation post-war, but if they are mother, we have a big increase in competitiveness. This is where it becomes the group, but also I have to watch out for my kids. So I think we have to do a lot more study. We have to at least distinguish. And sometimes in studies, they don't even put a dummy for female. And very rarely they put a dummy for having children or not children. So there are many studies out there, but we really don't know. So
0: you're saying that post-conflict mothers are much more competitive?
1: They are more competitive. They are more competitive. And post-conflict young men are more cooperative. Mm. Mm. Okay, I want to
0: close with a final question. So we're saying under the status quo, okay. In so a in Colombia, yeah, yeah. women
1: were very com- were as competitive as men, mm. and the one that were victimized, they were even more competitive. Not more competitive, but uh, I remember we saw an increase in competitiveness.
0: Here's a question for you, though. Okay, here's a question to close. So, if so, if you and I agree. That if you have more women in senior positions and people accept women in senior positions, then they may accept women going for those senior positions, right? So yes. These, this is totally. Yeah, because we as change we the social scant- norms yes, yes, yes.
1: slowly, slowly, but it changes but, the social norms. But then we have a difficult
0: situation whereby in a society whereby most of the top positions are dominated by men, as is the case in the US, for example, most of the executive suites are dominated by men, most of the senior management is still male, then women who go for those top jobs suffer in terms of losing their husband's love and affection. Is it, in, in these are what the data are saying. Allies. Yes, yes,
1: exactly. Even winning the Oscar, did you know mm-hmm. that when you have the best Oscar nominee, mm-hmm. female, maybe are five, you have the best Oscar nominee, male, they are five. If you make it to be in the nominee, you're all equally good. Who wins uh, is almost like chance, right? Uh, they did a study and they show what happened to the marriage after they win or not the Oscar. Among the male that won the Oscar, nothing happens. Among the women that won the Oscar, they divorce at a much higher rate than the other three Mm -hmm. that still got dominated but didn't win the Oscar. When women reach the top, something happened within the marriage. I hope it's going to change as the social norm changes. How
0: would you change that? Because, like, that's not something that can easily, ch- like, it's, because that's something women have always won an Oscar for the best female actress, right? <laughs> like, obviously, yes, right? That, that's yes. a tautology. So that's not something that can easily change. That I, I mean, what would change? The, from your research... These w- women have suffered
1: more marital problems. What would be
0: the best way, what would be the best way to mitigate that?
1: Like how can you improve?
0: Question. Think of these poor Hollywood actresses. Please help their marriages. What is your solution? Uh,
1: my solution would be not show the Oscar in the living room. Never talk about the Oscar in the presence of the husband. Diminish yourself. <laughs> oh it's very sad. But if, if it is a question that male need to be... But I don't want to say that male are jealous. I want to say this goes at the core of male probably wanted to find uh, to to find themselves worthy of a great actress they probably want to say I am no less because we raised men traditionally to be provider to be provisor these are all very valuable skills. I would say in the United States okay let's conclude on this topic that we haven't touched yet mm. it is a problem that men don't go to college as much as the women sure. what is one of the main uh, there are many hypotheses about uh, don't having enough children, but now we know that it is not, it is only women, because women would like to have more children, even the one in the top position, is that uh, women don't find enough good men with which to have children. Right. And, they, and we know that if we don't get enough Mr. Right, they don't settle on Mr. Wrong. Mm-hmm. Our grandmothers had to settle on Mr. Wrong if they wanted to survive, But now women have choice. So if we want, uh, we have to go back to, it's a win-win for both. We have to strengthen men so men don't feel inferior. And women don't think, oh, he's a Mr. Wrong. What would you mean by strengthening men? Go to college, Yeah,
0: yeah you know. So you Close ing- the college gap. So increasing the supply of marriageable men. I agree Increase the supply of so good and that, men. And that requires one. Mm. I think that requires one for to tackle the gender gap in education. Yes. Two. That requires job creating economic growth, so that men feel they have the financial. Exactly. To, but I don't think it's entirely materialist. So, for example, women may still express frustrations with men, and one ex- one possible hypothesis is that if men spend a lot of their time watching video games, playing video games and watching sports, then it's not just about jobs or not just about education, but they may not be as fun or exciting enough to entertain and amuse women, right? It could just be their lack of emotional soft skills that they're not appealing to women who expect better and and want more. So I think that's a, another possible thing. But absolutely, I... I uh I think
1: this is possible. So, and ultimately, I don't think that women empowerment is going to arrive at the expenses of men. Women empowering is going to be reached when also, also men do well, because women want a lot of Mr. Right. So society needs to work well for both.
0: Yeah, I, I totally agree with this. And I, and I think there's a lot of research showing that uh, whenever men feel they don't do well, whether in terms of dating or in terms of unemployment, then they turn, then they, they become to, a menace. They become a menace. There's hostile sexism that predicts support for Trump. I totally agree. All over the world, when men feel they're not doing well, when they're being rebuffed and rejected by men, women, and they're suffering in the labor market, then they can become more, more resentful. Especially, um, and Annabelle Hutchinson shows, that's more common amongst men who are already conservative. So whether that's Middle East and North Africa or in the US if they're already Republicans and Conservatives. But I want to go back to your point about institutions. So I totally agree with all that. But I want to go back to your point about okay, suppose there's an economics department. Okay. Or a sociology department, and they want to improve the share of women at the top, right? Hmm. They want women to get to the top. But let's say they totally accept your research that women may be less competitive and not go for those top positions because they worry about backlash, they worry about hurting their marriages, they worry about alienating other allies who they want. What can that economics department do, learning from your research, to diminish, to diminish that effect? To,
1: to I diminish have a solution. Do you want to do it overnight? Yeah, okay, fine. Where are we going? Change the system, not the women. Have quota. Oh, yes, okay, yes, yes. We always agree. think that yes. we have to change the women. We always think, and then we have lots of book. Women Don't Ask, Lean In. If you go on the session in a bookstore about self-improvement, they are always tell women to be more like men. Wait a second, what about all the backlash? Change the system. Who said that we have to change the women? I, we can change the system. We can use quota. We can use things that are going to make Uh, It's going to be more egalitarian and it's not going to be because these women are then going to be perceived uh, battling on the same uh, with the same uh, uh, with the same skills of a man. I I think think it's going to be a brilliant
0: argument, and I'd never thought of quotas in that way. So I'd always thought of quotas as like this in a society where women are deemed and stereotyped as less competent, then creating a quota, yes, some people will think that they're getting. Uh, something for nothing but once people are exposed to women in the quota then they come to recognize that they're equally competent exactly. in exactly positions, and then they become. and then more. you don't
1: need quotas
0: anymore yes, exactly, so exactly. we are talking about I'm a totally transition but, but what i never realized so i always thought that quotas were good where people underestimated women because then they created an exogenous shock that enabled people to realize it was widespread and socially accepted i never thought of quotas in your way in that you you, you reduce the backlash against women who are going for the top because you just make it mandatory. That's such a brilliant point. I never thought of that. I never thought that quotas are good because it doesn't hurt women who are trying to get there.
1: Because the women are not like the lone sprinter that wins the only... They're not
0: uppity women. It's something that's been institutionalized. I think that's really excellent. Yes, I totally agree. I totally but agree. But it's
1: very easy to find supporter of the self-help book change the women because you don't shake the system. It's very very hard uh, to find people to support in the United States quota. In Northern Europe, mm-hmm. it's it's yes. different. They have achieved their yes. gender equality no, I by. I like d- your
0: point. I like your point. So this this is I think the overarching message of the podcast is that women are less likely to compete for prestigious positions because they worry about backlash that could undermine their allies and alienate their husbands. So how do you do that? You need to mitigate women's yes. fear that they will the competition will make them forfeit allies, etc. And, and you can do that in two ways. Either if they come from a matrilineal society where they've already got those strong allies, or if they come from a society where people are very supportive of, of or women. Or the nana
1: bands. Yes, Nobody would think bad of a nana bands because they are they are valued for their clever skill in market. Right, right, because there is a long history of it's accepting a long history. women's entrepreneurship. But if you
0: don't have a culture with that long history, if there is a risk of backlash, then the best way to mitigate it is, boom, quotas, mandate it so that women, the individual women who go for the top don't face that backlash yeah. and being seen as apathetic. Because there such are very a great many. Point.
1: Because there are many it. of them.
0: I love it, I love it, you're superb. Okay, <laughs> so you've been listening to Professor Alessandra Crissandra
1: Alessandra Cassa, sorry. Everybody calls me Cassandra, <laughs> which was the one that was never believed, which is my, you know, I start with my experiment. I tell people, not even the student believe me. They say, sure. <laughs>
0: <laughs> professor Alessandra Cassa, I do apologize. Professor of Economics at the <laughs> University of San Francisco, thank you so much for sharing your brilliant research all over the world, studying Female, the gender gaps in competitiveness and what might change it. You're a superstar.
1: Thank you so much, Alice. It's been a great pleasure talking to you. And I'm looking forward to the next one. (laughs) Awesome.